Welcome to episode 22 of Living in Infinity. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the legal realm of AI. Uh, there's a lawsuit uh, we're going to talk about quite a bit uh, involving the New York Times and OpenAI. And uh, so we're going to look at that and then um, talk a little bit about X, its traffic, uh, our experiences, and uh, so on and so forth. Yeah, so this New York Times lawsuit is pretty interesting. I think could kind of open up the floodgates like a potential content war as far as like who owns the rights to content when it comes to AI models trading on just content that's on the internet. So just to kind of outline the lawsuit itself, um, New York Times is suing Microsoft um, and I guess OpenAI um, for alleging copyright infringement, saying that, um, so OpenAI is filing a lawsuit that seeks to hold Microsoft and OpenAI um, accountable for billions of dollars in statutory and actual damages. Um, so they're basically stating that they are owed for unlawful copying and the use of New York Times uh, uniquely valuable works. So basically what they're claiming is that or it is true that OpenAI use New York Times content to train their models, but, but what basically New York Times is stating is that that's copyright infringement because their writers are the ones actually putting these articles together and the New York Times owns the rights to that, to that content. And so they are stating that they want OpenAI to completely remove all New York Times data from their, da from their database and then also retrain their models entirely without using any of the New York Times content. Um, now, whether or not this lawsuit has any grounds, I don't really know. It, to me, it seems a bit out there because I don't, let's, let's talk about you, for example, like you're a writer. If you go read a bunch of New York Times articles and, you know, you learn all that content and then you go and write your own article that kind of uses all of that information. That's not against copyright. You know, you're still like you're producing that your own writing, just using that content as a reference for, you know, when it, for, for your writing. And so that's gen, that's basically what, you know, GPT four is doing. It's not, it's not like it's, literally copying and pasting things from these articles and saying that it's its own writing. Uh, it's, it's using it as a reference for learning and then it writes it itself as, and references those articles as content. So I don't know if this is going to hold up in court, but I think the biggest thing here is going to be, let's just say New York Times does win this lawsuit. That's going to open up the floodgates for literally every other content pr producer to also sue not just open AI, but any other open or any other AI company that is using their content for training data. Um, and this kind of begs the question, like, what does this environment look like going forward where like, are these companies like open AI, are they just gonna have to dish out tons of money to all these content publications for access to their data or is the New York times kind of gearing up to create their own models. So they're going to basically, you know, they're going to, if the lawsuit goes through, they're going to, they're going to say like, okay, we have the rights to all of our, all of our content and no one else can have access to it. And then they're going to create their own AI model based off all of that content. Um, and that kind of gives them like a somewhat of a unique advantage, I guess, to, um, compared to the, to the rest of the AI companies. And so I don't know how this is going to shake out, but to me, I think this could end up being a pretty messy legal environment going forward if they do win, because like I said, I mean, this is going to open up the floodgates for any company to sue open AI, not just open AI, but all the other AI companies as well. Um. So, I mean, what are, what are your thoughts as far as like what this, what the, how this could potentially end up shaking out? Um, so there's two things I want to address. I, I don't just, 
based off my quick look at this issue, I, I don't think it's much of a case because, I mean, you said it, it's, uh, you know, ChatGPT doesn't go to New York Times material, directly pull from it, state it word for word in its responses, and then not give credit. Um, yeah. Claiming it as its, its own work. Um, what it does is it looks at all the information that's put into, uh, that's given to it. And then, yeah, it uses that like we would to build, um, to build its worldview per se. Um, and then from there it spits out specific phrases and stuff. So that, you know, it's, yeah, it's no different than me, you know, reading for a year and then drafting up an article. Um, yeah. So, no, I don't think it's much of a case. Um, if they do win, though, in my mind, that'll put a stop to these large models like OpenAI, Grok, all the other ones. Um, I mean, I don't see how they could function if they don't have free access to all this information. Um, so then, like you mentioned, what... You know, that sets up New York Times to create their own. Uh, um, and then I'm assuming the move would be for all other content creators to, to do the same for their own content. So then you would have, okay, so it's, it's, so is that bad or good? Um, you know, instead of a landscape where there's like four big players, four big models, you now have a landscape of a ton of little models. Um, Okay, so the risk of like monopoly probably goes down. Um, the which is good, you know, you get more competition, but then you get the uh, a smaller rate of informational exchange. Um, so again, I, I don't think it's much of a case. But if it does go through, I mean, it, at first it seems like a pretty obviously bad thing. And I, I, I still think that's true, but I mean, I do think it's somewhat, there's somewhat of a discussion that needs to be had. Like, I don't think it would be, I think, yeah, like you said, uh, before we got on, I think it'd be nuanced in terms of its implications. Well, another thing to add to, like, let's just say, let's go the other route and say, New York Times does win, but instead of saying, okay, no one can access our data, we're going to make our own models, they say to OpenAI or whoever, okay, if you want access to all of our content, you're going to pay us a billion dollars a year. And that's the only way you have access to our real-time information to use that for your training data. If that scenario plays out, the only that's going to be a big hit to these small AI companies that don't have a billion dollars a year to fork out for, for content, you know? Um, and two, it's that this is going to be like a cascading effect, not just for New York times, but any content producer, because they're all going to be like, okay, if open AI is paying New York times a billion dollars a year for their access to their content, what can we get for access to our content? And so everyone's just going to be charging these companies money for access to their data, which I'm not opposed to. Like, I think if you're actually producing content that you own the legal rights to and companies want to use that, then, you know, you should be able to charge in that kind of environment. But the downside to that is there's very few companies that are going to have the money to access these, these massive amounts of data. Um, and I think that's where like X has a really good benefit because I mean, they're working on Grok, XAI is working on Grok. They have real time data through through Twitter or through X. And that is a massive, massive advantage to any of these other companies that aren't going to have access to those. Um, and X has already blocked off scraping as, as best as they could. Like no one has access to real-time data on X now other than XAI. And so all these other, like OpenAI is completely blocked off from it. Meta is completely blocked off. Google, all of them are. Um, so people are really starting to like lock, lock down their data as much as they can 
and gearing up for like this content war that I referenced earlier about like who owns what, who's going to pay for access to what. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to see how this is going to play out. And, and two, like, so open it, chat GPT has the browsing feature. So if you say specifically, like, here's this New York times article, summarize it for me. And you paste in that link. It's going to go to that webpage. It's going to look at all the content that's on there. It's going to analyze it and then provide a summary based on that. Is that illegal now? Like, is that a copyright infringement when it's literally just a browsing feature? It's not like it's, you know, using, it's not like it's saying this is our own information that we came up with. It's just referencing it just as you asked it to do. So I've seen mixed opinions on whether or not this would go through a lot of legal experts on, on X are saying that, oh, this is like a really strong case. And then other people are saying like, no, this is like, just, it's going to be thrown out. So I don't know how it's going to, going to end up shaking out, but I, I do kind of feel like some platforms are going to have the ability, maybe not New York Times, but some platforms are going to have the ability to actually license their content. Like X, for example. I mean, that's a real-time data feed across the entire globe. You know, hundreds of millions of users. That's that, that's worth a lot, a lot of money. Um, you can also beg the question, are the, the, the writers are basically doing the same thing that ChatGPT is doing. They're just looking at other information out there congregating it in their own head and then writing their own version of it you know does that mm -hmm. mean that they should have legal bounds over what they just did i don't know if i believe that but i mean that's the process for all yeah for all writing all or just any kind of that's really been. content production in general like videos like it's just it comes from somewhere you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah so it, it doesn't make sense um so do you think that going back to what you said about X and like their advantage with their real time feed and access to, uh, you know, the whole globe essentially, uh, like that seems to be just a wild advantage that they have compared to, uh, chat GPT. I mean, yeah. In terms of like, yeah. Obviously, so that the relevance, relevancy of like the, uh, what Grok says, um, and then also just the relevancy to the user. Um, yeah, I think, I guess I never really thought about that. I wonder if ChatGPT, um, and OpenAI, like, I wonder if they, thought about that i mean i'm sure they have but i wonder what their plan to address that is because that seems yeah the huge. only way right now you can really get real-time data through chat gbt is through their browsing feature which is drastically different than using it on grok so i mean if you use chat gbt the browsing feature and you say like give me the scores of the, the basketball games last night or whatever that's like a 20 second process almost like it, the little thing comes up saying it's browsing Google. It tells you what pages it goes to. It tells you what it's looking at. And then it gives you the answer. Whereas if you do it with Grok, which I haven't paid for Grok, but I've seen plenty of video demos of this. It's almost instant. Like, I don't know what kind of searching mechanism they have on their backend for this, but it's pulling directly from tweets. Whereas. ChatGPT, it's it's just a bot that is browsing Google. You know that those are two drastically different things. Um, so yeah, I think it's a massive advantage. And I mean, with Meta, for example, they have their Llama open source models. Uh -huh. They've got access to Instagram feeds, Threads, which I wouldn't even count, but also Facebook. Um, so that's a strong benefit. Uh, Google has access to YouTube. But, um, you know, 
again, the advantage still goes to X there because of uh, the censorship baked within those within Meta and, and YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know, the quality of the data it's going to get is not going to be as good. So, uh, yeah, again, X pulls ahead. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. And I think regardless of what you what what your opinion is of X, I think anyone will tell you that it's one of, if not the best source for real-time information on just about any topic. Like I get all of my news from X because it comes out instantly. Whereas anywhere else, whether it's news on TV or New York Times articles, whatever, like it takes time for this, for the, the, the data to, or the information to get processed, turned into a news segment or turned into a news article. Whereas on X, it's coming out within seconds of things happening. Like it's just a, a, like literally one small tweet away and it's blasted to hundreds of millions of people. Um, and not only that, like you're getting tons of different perspectives as well. Whereas New York Times, you're, you're getting the one perspective of that writer. That's it. And that's influenced by whatever kind of culture they have with that company, whatever kind of, you know, people behind the, the scenes pulling whatever strings they are to push c- certain agendas. Same goes for if you're watching Fox, CNN, whatever. That's one perspective. Whereas on X, you can get just about as many perspectives as you want over that topic. And so Grok having access to all of that, I mean, there's there's nothing that can really compare to that, in my opinion. Um, and I think for for as far as a model that you want to use on a con- like consistent basis throughout the day for getting real-time information and not only that but just like a as much of an unbiased perspective as you can get i mean i I don't i think grok is really the only one that's going to be able to to offer that and so that kind of makes you think like elon purchasing twitter i don't it was a free speech play but at the end of the day i think it's really an ai play like that's an incredibly powerful data source and I think the whole free speech thing was kind of a way for Elon to to frame it to where a lot of people could get behind the purchase. And like the, the free speech was like the mission for the purchase. But in reality, I think it was probably more of like an AI play um, as far as actually creating, like he has to make a return on that. You know, he didn't just spend $46 billion of his own cash. Like he has other investors in this deal that he's going to have to pay back. And yeah, I think the AI part of that is where he's going to create a massive amounts of capital, um, in order to, to pay those people back. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if I necessarily, uh, necessarily see it as like, a that was his overall strategy. I, to me, it seems more of like a nice little coincidence, uh, could be true. Yeah. Either way, either way, I'm. Uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, I think for sure. But yeah, I'm trying to sit here and think like, because I, I use X for all my news too, and it's just great because there's something about like watching the discussion unfold that's just like so much better than going to an article because. It's like, yeah, you're reading people's opinions, but you're doing it in a manner to where you, at the end of the day, have to like put them all together, kind yeah. of create your own image, I feel like. Where if you just read an article, you know, you really, they, I just feel like they do that for you more than when you go through your Twitter feed. Um, yep. Yeah. And, and two, it's so great because like a lot of times what will happen on my feed is I'll get a lot of tweets that all have the same point, the same view, whatever. But then just all you got to do, click on the tweet, go to the comments, and you, there's always counterpoints. Always. Yeah. Uh, and who the hell, like, you know, you go to an article, you don't read the comments on the article. I mean, I think if there's even a way to, to leave comments. Right. 
Right. So, no, uh, uh, yeah, I, I know you said you wanted to ask me about my experience on X. I, I really like it. I haven't thought too much uh, about it critically, um, but I, I use it every day. Um, I, sometimes it feels like, hmm. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't know if I have any complaints really to make. It's, uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. What I, I think the yeah. important distinction there as far as, um, at least for me, like when you read, I think this, a lot of people do this when you, when you read like a New York times article or any kind of article, I think the general population looks at that as a source of like trusted information. And you aren't thinking about it from the perspective of like a person wrote this. You see it as a, the organization as a whole is the, is responsible for putting that content out. Like, whereas on Twitter, yeah, it's like, you know, it comes it from a, a person. It's very more personalized because you see that person right there. Whereas New York times, the, who, who wrote it, it's very small. You're not really, you don't pay any ten, attention to it at all. Like you just like, oh, the New York times, they, they did that or whoever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would say the average person you know, 10 years ago, probably saw it, probably saw it as like a source of absolute truth. Yeah. And so then what you're saying is on X because, which I think is dead right. Like, even when a tweet comes from a source I'm familiar with and trust, there's still like, I still have a sense of skepticism about it. Yeah. Or like I want to critically uh, critique it. Um, and, Probably part of that is because, you know, you can only tweet so much. I mean, I guess uh, that's not really the case, but, you know, oftentimes a, a tweet is short. And, and so you're kind of forced to like, like, okay, so what are the bigger issues surrounding this, you know, 220 character tweet or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. And I think too, I mean, I mean, you mentioned like, 10 years ago, people would view these news publications as like uh, a source of absolute truth. I think a lot of that still carries over today. I mean, especially in, I guess, older generations, like older than, than us, they still religiously watch the news. Like every morning news comes on, end of the day, the news is on to, to get a recap of the day and everything. And I mean, I, yeah, an example of this would be two weeks ago, I think, um, it was all over every news publication ever that Tesla was having a massive recall. Like every single one of their vehicles was getting recalled. And it was this crazy dramatic story about how dangerous they were, blah, blah, blah. I had multiple family members send me this saying like, oh, did you see all, every Tesla is getting recalled? Which for the record, the, the whole news story was like, basically completely bullshit. Like just, it wasn't a recall. It was just a software update that they had to change a couple of like the safety mechanisms. Um, so it was nothing like this is very standard, you know, standard software update that makes the car safer. And it was completely framed in a way that was just not true whatsoever. But to go back to my original point, multiple people referenced this to me saying like, Oh, this is crazy. Did you see this? Like straight from the news. So I think a lot of these, a lot of the general population, I still think, you know, looks to these news publications as like a source of truth and they just kind of take things word for word, um, on, you know, what they say, whereas we're kind of getting a lot more accustomed to like using, you know, X, for example, as our Twitter source. And while you may read something. The, the profile picture and the name of who it comes from is right there. And so you're always, there's like built in skepticism because you see like, oh, this is just from a, some dude online. Like I need to, to make sure that, you know, or at least be like, not read it word for word, take everything with a grain of salt and figure things out on my own. Uh, and that's why I think X, I mean, if you want to be objective about things, then X is like by far the best way to get your, your news source, because you can just get so many different opinions. And like you said, you know, just go read the comments. You're going to get every kind of opinion imaginable. Like 
you're going to have crazy people. You're going to have, you know, people on the right, people on the left, moderates, like you've got everything. Um, yeah, because it's not like, you know, the news is super segregated between left and right. Like liberals don't watch Fox and yeah. conservatives don't watch CNN, but liberals follow conservatives and conservatives follow and engage with liberals. Yeah. Uh, you see it all the time on X. And so it's, it's a great, yeah, it's a, I think that's exactly why you can go there and get the full scope your air close to a full scope of, of whatever the issue is. Mm -hmm. I think people are starting to gravitate towards that. I mean, one statistic I wanted to, to reference was last month X had over 1.5 billion unique visitors, which is crazy growth from where it was at. I mean, I don't, I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head. I think X right now is at around like 600 million daily active users. Whereas when the purchase first happened, it was more around like three or 400 million. So traffic is going up consistently. Um, it's still not anywhere close to the level of like Instagram. I think Instagram has like 2 billion daily active users or something crazy like that. Um, but it's at least getting there. Uh, I mean, we saw like, like threads has basically dropped off the face of the earth, which we kind of predicted. Um, asked nothing really came from that. Um, but it's just good to see. I don't think you can, I'm not sure you can compare Instagram and Twitter. I'm not sure it's a completely fair comparison just based off the types of media they are. Uh, mm -hmm. the literacy rate in America is trash. Uh, and, uh, and the level of which those who can read is really low on average. So, uh, yeah, yeah I think people are going to be more drawn to images rather than text. So, I, I mean, I don't know if they'll ever get there, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. And I don't even think it, I don't, I wouldn't care if it never passes up Instagram or TikTok or like, I mean, Instagram and TikTok, I think TikTok is the number one spot. I don't know how many daily active users they have but primarily because they have like it's in china whereas i don't think china has as uh, access to facebook or instagram so they get a massive boost of people through that obviously but i don't i don't think x needs to surpass those in order to be a very successful platform i think as they they're on the right trajectory right now as far as growth the biggest issue still seems to be advertisers pulling ad spend, um, which I think what I've seen over the past week or two is a lot of companies are starting to, are starting to advertise again, um, on X, but so we'll, we'll see, you know, if that trend continues or not, but I think it's good that X is trying to move away from being like live or die, but based on advertising spent. I mean, they have, um, what's their subscription service called like X plus or something or premium X premium. Um, so they have that they're building in that subscription service. They have, have Grok, which is still not accessible to that many people. It's still kind of in beta, but I mean, if Grok ends up being something that's on a similar level to chat GBT, that's a massive amount of, of revenue that can come from that. Uh, and if X really wanted to, which I don't know if I see this happening, they could license their data to OpenAI or Meta or any of these other companies and just charge them, you know, an annual subscription for access to the data. Um, so they, I think that X is going to be more than fine in the long run. And I think it's really just a matter of, you know, can they completely pull away from relying solely on advertisers to keep the bills paid um, or are they just going to eventually convince a lot of these advertisers to come back and increase their ad spend? Um, yeah. Um, do you know much about the situation between X and the EU? Um, no, I remember seeing the EU opened up some sort of like investigation into X, but I didn't quite look into the full details. 
Yeah, and they just uh, threatened Musk with uh, sanctions if he doesn't uh, comply to their request for censorship. Um, um, yeah, and that's that's all I know of it. I just I'm trying to think of like implications of that. I mean, based off his interview, uh, you know, where he told Dizzy to f off, like, I, you know, obviously I don't expect him to cave to those demands. Um, so I only foresee that tension between X and the E to grow. Okay, so what they like inhibit the Europeans' access to X? Well. Tensions are already super high in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. So in my mind, it just seems like this losing situation, like, you know, they're they're definitely, by doing that, going to go against the will of the Europeans, as far as I can tell. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, um, you know, we've talked about it before. It seems like things are turning around. Uh, I think that's just another indication. Well, I will say Europe trying to swing their weight when it comes to internet access is a scary thing because they are the reason that every single website that we visit has that little cookie warning thing that pops up. That's like the worst thing that's ever been put on the internet, I think. Like, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's on every single website. It comes up like accept or reject cookies. That's because of the EU. It is so annoying and it makes zero (laughs) sense. Like it's the 21st century and we have to click whether or not we accept or reject cookies on every single web page. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrific. And so I, I don't know what the EU is really thinking in terms of like how they're trying to get their grips over control of the internet, but Mm. I hope they don't have any sort of influence over X. I mean, they certainly wouldn't in the U S or the rest of the world, but as far as in EU, they might, you know, X might be a little different there. Yeah. Yeah. I guess looking like ahead, um, I mean, the governments, they're trying to control the internet and fit it to within the existing system, but, um, they can't. So they, you know, they, I think they either have to, I see like two ways forward. They either have to let the internet go do what it's going to do, which is inevitably going to lead to them being held more accountable, having more honest, open discussion, because everything they do behind closed doors nowadays seems to get leaked, and all the the screw-ups get uh, exposed to their fullest extent to, you know, I mean, not to the fullest extent, but, uh, you know, they get all, the public learns a lot more about them than they would otherwise. So it's either... You know, I think the internet's going to push the government to become better, or there's just going to be this growing tension between the two, and God knows what's going to come of that. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I mean, you know, the only thing certain about the future is what is that it's going to be different. So uh, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Or the EU could just can kind of continue. Or I guess it's safe to say that. The EU has been on somewhat of a decline for the past decade or so. And I think a a lot of these internet restrictions they're trying to impose could just accelerate that even further. Uh, Whereas like we're, the U.S. is going to have, you know, we, we have unrestricted access to the internet where, I mean, granted, they're trying to impose a lot of censorship and stuff, but not to, maybe not to the degree that the EU is trying to do where they want to just completely block certain platforms from being accessed, whether if they don't have control over those platforms. Um, I mean, that's like China level of restriction. I mean, like I said earlier, you can't access Facebook. Uh, you can't access YouTube in China. Um, they have TikTok, but it's their own, their own version of it. It's very different from us TikTok. Um, and seeing the EU kind That's of go down crazy. that path is a little, a little scary. Yeah, it's it's just crazy. Because really what the internet is, is just a place where people go to talk. So it'd be like, it's a virtual place where people go to talk. So 
if the, all this were happening outside the context of the internet age, like they, this is the equivalent of the government coming to a gym and being like, yeah. you can't talk about this. So yeah. Going to a church, can't talk about this. Mm-hmm. It's when put into that context, this is the most, you know, this, this trend we're seeing is just the most like egregious breach of the constitution you could ever imagine. It, yeah. And it has no grounds, it, it, in my opinion, whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of this, I mean, kind of tying this back into AI, a lot of the censorship stuff is like, I think it can drastically influence, you know, how AI ends up shaping out. I mean, like, like you kind of said earlier, like, let's just say, let's, let's say the New York Times does want to train their own AI model, which I don't necessarily think they're going to do, but let's just say that they do. All of the the data on New York Times, or let's do a better example, something a little more drastic, like CNN. Let's say CNN wants to make their own AI model for like a real-time news feed. That is like going to be just absurdly biased. I mean, same if Fox did or really any of these far right, far left, you know, leaning uh, publications. I mean, that... That's, that's scary to think about too. I think, I think there's going to, there's obviously going to be a lot of different AI models that exist. And I don't know what that environment looks like in terms of like, how do you, how do you as a consumer choose which AI models you want to use? Just the whole data controlling aspect of AI is what I think a lot of, I'm very curious to see how that's going to end up shaking out because there's potential for a lot of like ideas that a lot of people may not agree with to get, you know, pushed into these models and heavily influence the way that they are projecting information to people. And so I don't, I'm not sure what that's going to, going to really look like. Um, I mean, you look at, yeah, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's why, okay, so let's go like maybe you have scenario one where each publication makes their own model. Um, So there it becomes incumbent upon the user to go to different models or the, in the process of researching the same topic where an inherent benefit of like in scenario two where ChatGPT has access to all this stuff, you know, that becomes a more user-friendly experience and while becoming, you know, equally as uh, responsible because it can pull information from both sides of the aisle. I don't think X is affected by either of those situations. Cause it's going to get to be able to pull from both sides of the aisle regardless mm-hmm. because of its, you know, what goes on on its platform. But outside of X, um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess scenario two where, you know, ChatGPT or OpenAI has access to everything that I guess that's still the better option. Uh, I want to mention, I mean, it's not relevant, I don't think. I don't think it's fully relevant, so I'll leave it, but I'll tell you about it later. It's interesting. Um, okay. So yeah, I don't know. I guess the main thing I've learned is that X is, yeah, I have high expectations for Grok, I guess is what I've learned. Yeah. And I should, I think if you, if you buy like the highest, uh, subscription plan on X, you get instant access to Grok. So I might do that for like a month and just kind of play around with it and see, you know, how it compares to, to, to chat GPT. But yeah, I, this, this whole, like thinking into the future where we have tons of different AI models to choose from. I don't, I don't know what that looks like. Cause I don't think that's a great user experience. Um, people don't want to think about how like your average everyday person that doesn't still doesn't have a very good understanding of like what's even happening in the AI world. I don't think they want to have to think about what model they're using or which ones they prefer when there's potentially hundreds 
or thousands to choose from, you know? How do you differentiate between those? You can't really without using them all extensively. And so... Yeah, it's not, it's not really an easily navigable situation. Yeah, not at all. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if I see that scenario playing out where there's a ton of different AI models that are widely used. I think... I don't know. I would, I don't know what it looks like, but I would almost, I would almost think that we don't even think about, we will, or in the future, we will, we won't even think about what model we're using. It's more of just like, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think You're of what more that just might focused, look like. Yeah. Well, I think, okay. So let's look at social media. So social media, you know, there's not a thousand platforms to choose from. Uh, it's pretty manageable for the everyday person to figure out what platform they like best. And then they go to that. Uh, so I think ideally that's what the AI situation looks like. So, you know, I think the best situation going forward is that chat GPT further develops and Grok further develops and whatever llama, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Um, yeah. So which is the picture we agreed on since the beginning, I think, of uh, of the AI boom is, yeah, you you want you want a healthy amount of competition. You don't want one. You don't want to rely on one. And I, you know, now we've discovered you don't want a hundred about. Uh, yeah. Well, one scenario I will say that I do, which I wouldn't consider these like models for anyone to access, but I do think like hyper personalized AI is going to be a thing. So let's say Apple, for example, has, comes out with a model or at least an underlying model that they put on every single iPhone. And that model has access to all the data on your phone uh, or across your entire Apple account. So it could be your computer, it could be your phone, everything. Your health data within your watch, it has, it's extremely personalized to you specifically and those what you do every single day, it knows who you're texting, it knows your calendar, it knows what you do for work, it knows everything about you. Like that, I would consider it to be like a somewhat of an individual model that is made specifically for you. And so I see that that playing out for sure. Because I mean, at the end of the day, you can't just make an AI model that's like going to be as universally useful to every single person in an equal way. That's just it, it needs to be super personalized to you specifically, but it also needs to do it in a way that's like very uh, objective, I guess. I mean, if you're someone with like, if you're someone with very like profound political views, for example, you don't really want the AI to just be like an echo chamber to what you're thinking. I mean, I, ideally you don't want that, right? Some people might want that, but Generally speaking, you you don't want the AI to just like adhere to whatever beliefs you're doing. Like you want it to be as objective as possible, but at the same time, you want it to know everything about you and like kind of work for you in a way as an assistant. And so, I think it's going to be a hard balance to to do. Um, that's something that. Well, yeah, that would. That's going to be tough because you're going to have to know what's best for you. I mean, it's almost like picking a, like a, a, a person to, to date, to marry, you know, mm -hmm. you got to know what's best for you, um, in order to, to have it fulfill that role properly. And, um, that's a hard thing to know what's best for you. So that's, that's an interesting problem right there. Yeah. So I don't it's also. Well, and also just from like a privacy standpoint, um, which it, uh, there's a great podcast, uh, with, uh, Jordan Peterson, he talks about this, about, I think it's specifically about the use of like individual models like this while simultaneously not having, you know, not getting people access to every inch of your being. Um, mm -hmm. so that's another problem that comes up with this. Do you view that as a problem? Like, let's say you had a, a AI robot assistant, like a physical robot in your home or something. Cause I, 
that's a likely scenario that could play out, you know, 20, 30 years from now. Do you, would you not want it to have access to, to everything in order to like be, because in my opinion, the more it knows, the better it can like serve you as like an assistant, you know, but where would you want to draw the line if there is a line? Um, well, I, I don't know if I, I mean, the idea of it knowing everything about me is uncomfortable. Um, although I don't know if I'm ultimately against that, but the, uh, the security measures that would have to be in place, uh, would have to be intense. Yeah. Um. Because it's, you know, we don't live in Harry Potter. There's no truth serum. There's mm -hmm. stuff in me that not just is safe, no matter what happens. And, you know, nobody's going to get it. Uh, that's not truth. It, it goes into that robot. So, uh, yeah, I, I would have to, yeah, there'd have to be some specific, very effective security measures in place. But two, I don't know, like we drifted kind of mindlessly into this age of the internet where... A lot of our shit's on the internet and probably not protecting that well. So maybe it, maybe it occurs like that, which is scary, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause you want the robot to like have access to the internet, obviously, so it can pull information for you, but your personal data, you don't want that just like stored on the cloud because then it's any hacker could eventually get to it. So. Yeah, there needs, it would, I agree, there need, there would need to be like some very strong security measures for something like that. But I mean, I think we've kind of become used to all of our data being accessible to our devices. Or, I mean, we still have, I mean, if you have Instagram on your phone, you know, it, it listens to basically everything you're saying. Um, I don't know if this is true for Instagram, but TikTok, the fact that it, tracks everything across all of your apps, your keystrokes across every app, your texts. Um, what app does that? TikTok. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. So one uh, direct concern I, I have about that. So I recently read a book. Uh, it's titled Live Not My Lies and just kind of breaks down some aspects that allowed uh, Christians and anti-communists alike to survive uh, under communist rule. And, and one of the things that stressed was the importance of um, keeping your home like a sanctuary, a place where you can truly go be you. And, uh, and it just really talked about Again, the importance of like your home being, yeah, just secluded from the outside world. So, um, because doing so allows you to withstand whatever the hell is going on around you. So, you know, it's just something to keep in mind um, as we go forward with this problem. Yeah. It did, it could become a very scary environment because, like, let's just say, you know, you do have this robot assistant that basically lives in your home with you and interacts with you throughout the day and sees a lot of the things that you do in your home. Um, and there's certain companies that I would not want having access to that. Um, I think a good example that a lot of people would understand right now is like Amazon. A lot of people have Alexa devices throughout their house. Um, these things are not like Amazon isn't selling these things for $20 because they're nice and they're a good company. Like they, they want them to be cheap. So you buy them and they can listen to things and for, give you ads for things that you talk about or learn things about you. I mean, like we're already kind of used to this environment in a way, but now think about a robot that like has built in cameras that sees everything. I mean, that's just, we're taking things up a big notch there. Yeah. So the, the question is, is like, what's the, what's the benefit? Like how much is this robot going to improve your life? Uh, I don't know. 
I guess that's to be seen. Um, yeah, I, so, okay, let's try to walk through this. So like, I'm not even convinced. I've started to think of the world in terms of corporations. So like before there were kingdoms and, and, uh, yeah, you lived under those and you weren't really free. And then we kind of moved on to governments and maybe we we're like in democracy and maybe we were a little free then, but I'm not even sure we like our main kind of, I'm going to call them oppressors for the rulers. Like to me, I don't see the world really anymore in terms of country lines. It's more of like you have these corporations that I think make up the major en entities of the world. Uh, this is kind of the, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm definitely not the first person to think of this, but this is a theory that I'm just kind of th I've been thinking on lately. Like, and so, you know, it was like a goal of the Soviet Union to get into people's houses and control their lives to every latest detail and learn all these details about people. Um, and now, you know. That's the same goal that like Amazon has and all these advertisers and stuff. And yeah, we just like willingly let them do it now. Whereas before people were super weirded out by that. Mm -hmm. And it's just really weird to, it, you know, it, we've like, we think we're uh, this free people and politically that's becoming not true. And then, I, you know, like, I'm not even sure it was really ever true in, in the last 30 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's that's a little incoherent, uh, but it's just no. I yeah, I I get what you're saying. I mean, it's just something that we're we don't even think about now. Um, like we we make jokes about like, oh, I I said something the other day, and then I got ads for it on Instagram. Like, oh, so funny, but like that's that's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, and to think that we're and I, 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 it's inevitable in my opinion, like we will be at a, a point where like, we are just going to have these robot assistants that live with us and do things for us. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of risk that comes with that as far as like, okay, who's building these, like what corporations control these robots? What, what, how do they influence them? How much data do they have access to? Um, there's a lot of implications that come with that, but yeah. And, and the thing is, is I don't think it's like an avoidable problem because the people who utilize these robots and incorporate them in, into their lives are going to become, you know, exponentially more efficient theoretically. So then they're going to gain the upper hand. So it's not like you can sacrifice the robot. I don't think, uh, um, in the name of like, whatever, uh, protecting your own data privacy and yourself. Yeah. Um, so again, it's like, it's kind of like the, the money, the, the position I have on money, like, okay, yeah, there's virtue in not being rich, but the evil guy's going to get rich and then you're screwed. Mm -hmm. So it's like. Uh, the, you know, and it's just the same situation here. So it's, it's, it's a problem that uh, needs to be solved as far as I can tell. Yeah. It's, I guess there are just certain trade-offs that we have to make. I mean, I think, yeah, if you ask just about anyone, like, okay, you get all of your data privacy back, but you no longer get access to your smartphone. Who's going to take that trade? No one. I mean... The same is probably going to be the case with these robots. Like, let's just, okay, here's a hypothetical question. Let's say, because Tesla's working on their, their robot. Um, so they're a good example of this. Like these are going to be put in homes at some point. How much would you pay for one of these robot assistants that like, I don't want to say it's AGI, but like it will do majority of things for you. It'll, it'll cook, it'll clean. It will do things outside for you that you don't want to do. It will, if you need like a, a workout assistant, it'll do that for you. 
can answer just about any questions for you. It can be just so your 24 seven assistant for everything that you need in life. I mean, how much money would you pay for something like that? Uh, don't know. Uh, would you pay it, it and say cost 15 grand? Would you, would you buy one? <laughs> in my current state, no. Uh, but yeah, I, I could see why you would. Yeah. 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 I think this conversation, it, it, this is a, uh, a point made in the Bible. Like you can't not participate in the world. Um, and I, I think that's going to be a, a reaction that a lot of people have is like, they're going to want to resist this, but, but you can't, uh, it's like you said with the phone, like if you took that deal, if a large percentage of the population took that deal and gave up their smartphone to have their internet, their privacy back, it's a death sentence. They're going to get, uh, outperformed and eventually conquered. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see that all throughout history. It's, it's the the people on the tech on the forefront of technological innovation that, uh, for better or worse, win, um, or who will end up being the winners. Um, so yeah, you, you can't not participate. Um, and, uh, and another point you made is that it's a trade-off. So like, as we're, even though we're progressing, uh, I don't know if it's like the world's going to get any more net positive or at least this progress isn't going to come without tremendous doubts. I don't mm -hmm. think it's, it, you know, it's, it's just life. That's the world. Um, so I, I don't think this, it was the point we made before. I, I don't think this AI wave is like, especially bad. I'm not in the doom and gloom camp now, but yeah, it's, you know, the, uh, I think it was like Brett Weinstein, he said, you know, a proper worldview is one that sees things as trade-offs. Everything is a trade-off. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Yeah. I think it'll for sure be a net positive. Well, like you said, there it's going to come with a lot of cost and... I don't think we quite know what those costs are going to be just yet or like how drastic they're going to be. Um, cause like I said, there's lots of implications that come from a robot that knows every single thing about you and has video footage of majority of your day and everything you do. Um, that opens up you to a lot of risk and. There's a lot of, I guess, influence that could be, uh, that could be used through this. Like, I mean, if you use this robot for basically everything and you're kind of using it as like a source of, of truth in a way, or for a lot of things that you don't want to have to look up manually, uh, that that's a lot, there's a lot of risk with that because it could just lead you down certain paths that it wants to lead you down or whoever, whatever corporation controls that, you know, they could, they'd have crazy amount of influence over the entire world to like a, to a, a degree that we've never seen before. So, but uh, on the flip side to properly com combat, uh, combat that, you know, a person would have to become perhaps they would have to improve to an equal amount, uh, well, God, that's it. They would have to become as equally, um, whatever, smart, independent. I, you know, you know. Okay, it's like critical thinking. Robot. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, at, yeah, with that risk comes a great upside. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The critical, critical thinking skills are, it's going to be by far the most important thing, I think, in this AI revolution. I, I we, we've talked about this before on previous episodes, but, uh, 
yeah, when you have all these different AI models that are working, our activity with these is only going to increase more and more as they get better and as they become more integrated into our lives. Like, yeah, critical thinking skills is going to be, if we lose that ability, it could potentially be like a very drastic, it could lead to a very drastic decline of, of society. I mean, whatever corporations are kind of pulling the strings with these models, they could, they could, um, influence them heavily and sway a lot of people in whichever direction they want to. Um, yeah. Well, and you know, that's a trend we've seen with, uh, like I would say, you know, the internet, whether it be YouTube or X or Facebook or Instagram, I'd say there's two camps. There's the people that have blindly been led to, yeah, manipulated and led to think certain things. Um, and so then, you know, there's been a significant decrease in their critical thinking, but also there's been a significant rise in the other camps, critical thinking. Yeah. And so I think that's just what that is just going to keep on going, um, into the future. Would you say people's critical thinking skills are better overall or worse overall than they were say 10 years ago? before social media was like as prominent as it is now. Yeah. Uh, um, I think in the people around me, um, it's, it, it's gotten better, but, um, you know, I, I've also, yeah, but I, I think that's equally true for the, for the other side as well. Um, it's probably gotten, uh, worse, uh, for others as well. Um, yeah, but certainly with my friends and family, it's, it's, it's gotten better. Yeah. I think I would agree with that. I think like Elon's purchase of X is kind of part of that mission is like allowing people the ability to, to think critically. Uh-huh. And so I think there's somewhat of a movement that's kind of starting as far as there. <laughs> I don't want to say free speech, but just as far as like, you know, thinking for yourself as much as possible and not trusting things that you read online at first glance, like have always reading things with a grain of salt. I think that's becoming more common now, um, with, or there's at least a a movement that's kind of being pushed with this, Mm. with Elon's purchase of X, but yeah, I'd also agree on the flip side the number of people that just kind of blindly read things, they read headlines and not think twice about it. That number is also skyrocketed. So, yeah. You know what I think is a telling, a a telling thing that really shows like a, a positive trend in our culture is the fact that, uh, you know, Rogan, uh, gets, uh, I mean, how many views a month does he get? I'm sure. I mean, the most Un- popular. Yeah, an unbelievable amount. Yeah, and and it as far as I know, it's just growing, growing, growing. And then you look at mainstream media, and it's just crashing and taking. And um, yeah, I don't know. Culture. Um, I've learned recently, it, it's like turning a cruise ship. Um. It takes a minute. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good analogy. Um, and so, like, I think we've seen small benefits from that occurrence already. But um, I think the, like, the damage to the traditional ways, to the traditional institutions, it's already been done. I just don't think we're seeing the full extent of it yet. So, like, my view of the next, tw- like, 20 years from now, um, I think it's going to be fantastic. Because for, like, I think Rogan, I started listening to him in, like, 16. Uh, that's when podcasts seemed to blow up. And that's when, like, people for the first time in a long time got real access to amazing conversations and information. Mm-hmm. And since then, you know, billions and billions of those conversations have been listened to um, so, yeah, I, no, I, I just think it's going to take a minute, but 20 years from now, I think we're going to see a significant increase in 
uh, critical thinking and, and then tremendous benefit from that. Yeah, I agree. I think we're on the right trajectory. Um, there'll be lots of, lots of up, ups and downs along the way of getting to that point. Uh, lots of probably drama and chaos, but yeah, I, I would agree that we're on, on the right path and over a long period of time, 20, 30 years or so, um, things be looking maybe up. even longer. Like, yeah, I just read a book. It traces where we're at culturally all the way back to 1776 and, and how our world kind of like got set in motion from yeah. that year. And we're still feeling effects from that year. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's a waiting game, I think, but, uh, hopefully it's not 276 years from now that things start to get good. But, but I, but I still think even up to then, we're still going to see positive effects from like, I mean, truly like the podcast, it's just, it's gotta be up there with the, I mean, it's kind of separate from everything else we've been talking about, but podcasting has to be like one of the greatest things that ever happened to humanity. <laughs> I mean, I think so. I think that's yeah. true. It, traditionally, these types of conversations would only occur within like small groups of people and they wouldn't get anywhere. You know, they might need a book, but how far does that book get spread throughout yeah. humanity? But these podcasts are so rich and they go everywhere. No, you're, you're totally right. I haven't really thought about it that way, but it really just opens up like the span of information that people have access to a different amount of opinions that people have access to. Um, and it just makes it so easily accessible. Well, I mean, like you had a book, I mean, not very many, that book may not spread to very many people because just the, the barrier of doing so, I mean, purchasing the book, reading it, blah, blah, blah. Whereas, yeah, there's so much that goes into it, but a podcast, you just click record and upload and boom, anyone can access it. Anyone with internet access can access it. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's definitely going to have, I mean, massive amount of influence on, um, I think people's critical thinking skills because it's, it's just giving people the ability to be independent and in how they get their information and how they process it, think about it. Yeah. Well. I mean, I think that's probably a, a good spot to to wrap it here. Um, bit of a different one today now that we back into the more topical um, topics. But yeah, is there anything else you kind of want to add in? Mm -mm. All righty. Well, we will be back next week then. And thanks, everybody, for watching.